Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Halloween edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 119 and I'm still your host, Elwood Jones. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. I guess that means I'm still the professor. And joining us tonight, we do have a special guest and regular co-host of the show, Rashmi, joining us once again. So happy to be here. Thank you. I know, it's been a while since I think we had you on Last Word for Kaiju Christmas. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun to talk about. It's such a goofy movie, you know, it was fun to talk about something uh, kind of comedic and over the top for once. <laughs> yeah, and um, as I said, uh, tonight we're here talking about Hidden Okada's Dark Water from 2002. Uh, as I said, we are currently in the midst of our Asian cinema so Asian Horror Month. Uh, so if you've been following any of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Blue Sky, Freds, uh, you can see what we have been obviously watching and there will be a recap episode going up as well. Um, so you can all enjoy that. But uh, as I said, tonight is our big um, group watch. And as I said, this time we have gone with uh, Dark Water. Um and uh, Hino Okada, he's sort of like one of those what-if directors, really. It's something I was talking about on the page today. And for one of the directors who sort of like led that initial charge, I mean, obviously we had Battle Royale and we had uh, Takashi Miike's audition. So we've covered this in pretty extensive detail on the show already. But Hino Okada sort of came out with Ring and then he did Ring 2. Went over to uh, the West and did Ring 2 as well as uh, Chat Room. And he also did Dark Water. And ironically, Dark Water seemed to be the high watermark for his career uh, to date. Um, where do we sort of stand when it comes to Hiro Nakada? Well, this is my favorite of his films. I haven't seen them all. But I, you know, maybe in the minority, but I prefer Dark Water to Ringu. Um, I'm sure we'll get into more details later, but I, I really, I, I agree with you already. You know, we would have liked to maybe see more from him in this vein or of this quality after he made this, because I think it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he made a film before Ring called Chaos. I think it's called Chaos. Yes. Which I think is quite good. And then he got Ring and, and, he yeah he wasn't a very well-known director when he got ring and i reading the um, i was watching an extra on the blu-ray and um koji suzuki sort of basically lobbied on the back of chaos for him to direct ring and you know as you know we talked about ring a few weeks ago or a few months ago didn't we where actually looking back on it maybe it's not quite as good as we remember but it's still an important film but i got to say a uh, dark water is the high water for me by a long way and mm -hmm. he's just made 
quite dreadful movies ever since then. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think, is there anything yeah. which Nothing I memorable. even mm-hmm. vaguely enjoyed? Um, and, you know, he's, as, uh, and bizarrely, he's, he's a filmmaker who doesn't really think of himself as a as a horror guy yet all he seemed to do is make horror movies afterwards and i just wish <laughs> you know the aspects of this film you know that this film is at its best when it's not being a horror movie correct yes <laughs> and, and, and yeah. i just do a little bit more than that but i think it's just from like chat rooms one i remember seeing um wasn't that a west a film with a with a west cast a western cast actually thinking about it which one um, chat room yeah yeah chat room so, was because well, i once say it had uh, aaron taylor johnson in it yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I vaguely remember watching that. He's done a remake, or, or he's done one of the more modern Sadaka films, which are, they're all dreadful. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's kind of sad to see, right? Like, we want our Asian directors who we love to be able to come over to Hollywood and do well and, you know, be successful and make great movies. And it doesn't seem to be a great path for a lot of them, right? I think that happened to Nakata definitely I mean John Woo right came I you know no, none of what he did in the US I would argue was as good as what he did back what? home oh, I'm um, sorry you don't like Broken uh-oh. Arrow or Face Off yeah they're <laughs> all right but I don't think they're as good as his other films no they're not they're no Redcliffe are they um <laughs> I mean four hours come on I think other than Ang Lee yeah I struggle to think of any Asian director that has really done it you'll find the odd film here and there but even someone like one car away you know no not a good film i mean that was kind of a blot yeah Yeah. Uh, (laughs) people that think well maybe could 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 do something um yeah i agree you know we've had we've had actors and actresses come over and they've they've Mm -hmm. they've done well like maggie chung like uh, also had a career in in, because of her ex-husband in sort of french cinema as well um uh you know jet lee Yes. Jackie Chan, people like that have come across, mm-hmm. but but I cannot. I really struggle to think of anyone other than Ang Lee that's put together even one film that really matches how good their work is. Um, I did like. I tell you what, the, when the three Korean guys. So um, Park Chan Wook did. Um, uh, Can, uh, no, Stoker. it's a yeah. Stoker. Stoker. I didn't which like was, that as much though. Just, did you like is, that? It's okay, you know. Yeah. I think, and but um. I did enjoy the one that um, oh, Matey Boy did with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, oh, uh, the Last Stand. I enjoyed the Last Stand, but it's no, it's nobody's greatest piece of work. Exactly. But it was, but it was interesting because I saw, I went to see the director to give a give a talk, and he talked about his time there, and it's just filmmaking is just done so differently in Hollywood. Yeah, Mount I think Kush- so. Yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 the yeah, studio, yeah, studio interference is what I always want. I mean, obviously, you can make the more more simpler, you know, th- think thoughts about you know whatever language barriers and whatnot. But I think it goes beyond that. I do think it's kind of studio control. Yeah, there's something it's the there. Constant, it's the constant notes. It's the way, mm-hmm. especially like those Hong Kong directors that we love. You know, that that's right. all seat of the pants stuff, right? It they, is. They, um, I, I don't think it's quite as seat as the pants as sometimes they make out, but. Yeah. There is, there is. Uh, actually, you know what? This, we'll do this thing completely different today. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. oh my God, something's happened. Let's make use of it. And it does sometimes make the narrative a bit odd, but especially in like action cinema, it's great. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, but Nakata, you know, yes, he's you're right. Elwood, it did have Aaron Taylor Johnson in, and um, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya. So it's got mm. some famous people in it, but um, rubbish. But his Japanese films are rubbish. <laughs> um, I, I cannot think. I'm sorry. Okay, Video. I mean, <laughs> when we're talking about obviously like Eastern directors going over, I mean, the fact that you didn't mention like Bong Joon Ho, who did both Snowpiercer and Okja in the west and but they were I don't fantastic. consider for me the, neither of those are among his top films i mean i always oh, read what i'm so surprised I don't snowpiercer like is it's a phenomenal it's just okay work. it's better than okta i thought i would really did not like okta yeah yeah and then obviously with uh pachamuki came over and did stoker yeah um which it seems to have been like a, a one-off experiment for himself because he hasn't really shown any indication that he wants to <laughs> sort of return to make films in the west <laughs> Yeah, um, but Bong Joon, Bong Joon Ho has got some deal with Netflix, hasn't he, going on or something, which means his stuff does get. I think I think some of them have done things like with TV shows as well, haven't they? Um, he's producing, I think, the Snowpiercer TV show, which was pretty good, but he's not directing it. Yeah, but but Okja was a Netflix thing, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Um, yeah. I thought he'd had an. I thought he had another Netflix thing on the go, but 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 several of the directors, people like. Um, uh, obviously, Osono has had a Netflix TV show, although mm-hmm. apparently not very good. Yeah. Um, oh, who's the um, oh god, the the Indonesian director that I like. Um, oh, I can't oh yeah. Um, has had a TV show. Um, but again, I I don't know. It's just it's just weird. I think I think Netflix probably give them a little bit more rope to hang themselves with, but um. <laughs> And and they are more accepting that they you know Netflix work very much in regions yeah so there mm-hmm. will be things, there will be things which are for the Japanese market for the Southeast Asian market for the South Asian market for the American market whereas I guess your big film studios can't risk that films you know a, a Hollywood level film costs so much money it's got to be a hit everywhere and there's a few. You know, there's a few films that don't get released in China, for example. Well, they better clean up everywhere else. So I guess that's the problem, isn't it? I'm always fascinated that when you have like outside investment, especially the fact that now Hong Kong and uh, China is providing most of Hollywood's production money. Um, and obviously, before we used to, used to go to Canada, and the laws of Canada, filming Canada, was that you had to have one Canadian actor in your film. And now, when we're obviously using uh, money from China and Hong Kong, we got to have uh, a lot. We get to see a lot more Asian actors into Hollywood productions, which is always really nice. But a lot of these directors, they come over, and as you said, with the case of John Woo, he's used to working like sixteen hours days. And Margaret yeah. Cho in one of her, her stand-ups was like, "It's like." Joey's like saying, "Oh, we're going to do sixteen hours." She's like, "Are we now?" <laughs> um, so it's it's always like a bit of a sort of culture shock, especially in terms of like working conditions, because it is nothing for like a Hong Kong set to work sixteen hours, but a Hollywood set they only want to work eight. Um, and John Travolta wants to fly his own plane. I, you know, this might be a good point to pull in also the writing teams. So I don't know. If when they do the Hollywood films, if they're able to use their own writers or if they're giving Hollywood writers, I don't know. Maybe there's a gap there. I, I was going to say, I think like Shibizu and Nakata had a really good relationship. And, you know, Ringu and, and Dark Water are both good films, right? And I think there's something there in terms of how they're adapting each other's work that works really well 
maybe that's part of the place where it falls apart. I don't know. Um, well, Dark Water is um, yeah. taken from a collection of short stories as directed by, uh, written by Koji Suzuki, who also did Rank. Uh, the book itself is told from the depths of dark waters, and I say it's a collection uh, of short stories. Uh, some have actually turned up in other places, such as Dream Cruise was uh, directed by Nakada, uh, sorry, directed by Tessaro Norio for Masters of Horror Season 2, and Adrift was turned into Open Water 2 Adrift back in 2006 um, although at the moment there is talks with Bloomhouse to remake this with Darren Aronofsky and Jared Leto the story it's uh, that uh, Dark Water is based on is called Floating Water and this is obviously renamed as Dark Water um, both in the, the version we're looking at tonight and the American remake in 2005 which I never watched but I've heard positive things about from Stephen You said it was good and a few other people said it's good yeah. Yeah. The remake, remakes yeah. like one of the few remakes I would actually tolerate. Most of the time I hate them, but this one's actually pretty good. Yeah, it comes from a yeah, there was that it was that era where every film, every Asian horror film was getting remade. So we had Gore Verbinski's Ring, which I actually don't mind either. Um we get um oh, The Uninvited, which was a version of Taylor Two Sisters. And then we get another one, which was a version of the Uninvited, which is Korean. And we got, and, and they're, they're all like dreadful. And then all the Ring sequels are dreadful. Yep. Ring two, Rings. Um, the, to the, be fair, those Japanese movies were not great either. They, they, they were, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, what's the other one? The director I really can't stand. I can't stand Juon movies, but they did do a Juon, didn't they, with Sarah Michelle Gellar? Um, yeah, three dark, of them, I think, at least. Yeah, yeah. Darkwater, Jennifer Connelly. And they, the, the the trick is, both, I think, with Rubinsky's Ring movie, is that they, they move it to the right place. Exactly. Um, I, th- I think they both... I think I think Darkwater has moved to Seattle and Ring has moved to in or around Seattle. It's sort of the, that, um, that, that sort of part of the world. I might be wrong. It's been a while since I've seen the remake, but I thought it was like Roosevelt Island or something. It was like an island off Manhattan, so it's kind of I thought it was isolated. But I could be wrong. It maybe it's. I haven't seen it in a long time. Basically, so. it's yeah. somewhere where it rains. They did a, yeah, it's kind of and, rainy and, and, and isolated. They did a really good job the, of that. That's yeah. the point, and and yeah. that's kind of the point of this in in yeah. this film. You know, yes. wa- water's really important, and Suzuki again talks about every horror film he ever watched or every Japanese horror story even, like even back like in folklore, there's always water involved. It was always a rainy night or there was a flood or there's a river nearby or something like that. So they picked that they both in both those examples they, they picked that and got it right and they didn't over Americanize it. They changed the names a bit, maybe the ending's a bit different, but you know, I, I'm not that bothered, like in Rubinsky's ring, that she's called Samara and not Sadako. <laughs> that kind right, of that's right. fine. That's well, fine. My, my apo- apologies to Koji Suzuki because I just mis- I called him Shimizu instead because the autocomplete in my computer apparently thinks that Shimizu <laughs> is a better name than Suzuki. So I thought we were just pronouncing um, it. I had a quick, quick American <laughs> snippet for you since we're talking about the remake. It might be a good thing to ta- bring it up. But have either of you heard of the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles? Is this, is this the one where the Kim, the uh, thingy Kim died? Thing? Yeah, so so basically, yeah, it, yes, related, yes. So the Cecil Hotel was built in downtown L.A. in 1924. It was built for, like, traveling businessmen. And, you know, if you think about, okay, 1924, 
what happened five years after 1924? Well, it was the Great Depression. And so that area of L.A. essentially became what's called Skid Row over subsequent decades. Literally, the government there just kind of is like, OK, we're just going to seal you off and all the bad stuff could just happen here and we're not going to do much. Um, so unfortunately, it's a forgotten area of the city even to this day, even though it's technically in downtown L.A. Um, and it, the, over this kind of period of decades after that, it became a hotel that's, you know, pretty dangerous. It's famous for criminals and crime. And uh, Richard Ramirez, famous serial killer, lived there for a little bit. Um, but yes, as Stephen referred to, so in 2013, keep in mind, this is more than 10 years after the movie, uh, a woman named Elisa Lamb, who was a Canadian tourist, she decided to stay there. Um, I don't know, I guess maybe it was inexpensive or whatever. And then she goes missing. And then as they're starting to investigate her disappearance, they see this kind of eerie security video of where she's like running into the elevator and it looks like she's hiding from someone. And it's it just very uncanny video footage. Um, and then basically they looked for her for 19 days. And then there were, sorry to gross people out here, but this does happen in our film as well. There were complaints of bad tasting water and low water pressure. And so they finally went and looked in the water tank on the on the the roof of the hotel, and she unfortunately was in there. And um, police came and investigated. They ruled it an accidental death. Um, she had had unfortunately a history of mental illness, um, and it's a, they believe that that video was you know probably some paranoia, um, and maybe that's what led her to be in the tank. We don't really know the details. There's no footage of what happened, but. Um, it was just very uh, anybody wants to hear more about this. I mean, the Wikipedia article is good. There's also a Netflix documentary about this hotel. But um, I just thought it was so when I heard about that, especially since it happened after the movie, it was just tragic yeah. and uncanny. That it's very it's, similar thing. Yeah. It's also, the Cecil Hotel is also the inspiration for the American Horror yes. Story series hotel. Mm-hmm. But they obviously with the, the Lady Gaga season, um, obviously vaguely inspired by it. <laughs> yes, a lot of terrible things have happened. Richard Ramirez does turn up in that series as well, if I'm right. Don't they have a serial killer ghost convention, I think, which is a ripple from Sandman. But never mind. Yes. But yes, that is a famous um, thing. And, and the, the, it's also the ending from this film. I know we're starting at the end, but why not? Is ripped off in the Korean horror movie, The Cat. Oh. Which has exactly the same ending <laughs> in the sense that, <laughs> that that's a, that's a film where where I think it's suggesting there's a, like a supernatural cat killer. It turns out someone's been found in the in the water tank in the building, but um, but that, that's a very strange way to it. But yeah, it's kind of iconic, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, uh, with with sort of real world. We don't have those water tanks in the UK. Oh really? We don't. Ah, we don't. Okay. As far as I know, I don't know of any building with a giant water tower on top of it. It's, huh. not, how, it's not how our water works in the UK. Uh-huh. But obviously, we've seen I've seen them in films and I've seen them yeah. in Spider-Man comics and things like that no, over, no, the, no, no. over we... the years. But it's um, interesting. So they must have them in Japan as well. Yeah. I'm assuming it's just we, mm-hmm. we just don't have them here unless you can tell me I'm wrong, Elwood. No. And in fact, when you look at the film, you can see water tanks on other buildings there when they're looking out. So, yeah. No, we, we yeah. just build uh, reservoirs and low lying uh, villages to uh, store all our water supplies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, less said, the less said about British plumbing at this point, the better, right? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of people 
realizing that quaint little villages are not the best place to live at the moment that's certainly for sure because uh they they just tend to get washed away every time we have heavy rain now it's oh dear yeah anyway but anyway i wanted to just mention that anecdote because it's just so similar to the film and kind of eerie anyway the film itself yeah. follows uh, Yoshimi, who is not only coming off a bitter divorce, but also suffering a slight mental breakdown as a result of her job as an editor for a company who specialised in violent fiction. And now she wants to basically try and get her life back together, living in a rundown apartment with her daughter, Ikkyo, um, and at the same time getting a job as a proofreader, but at the same time a leak in her apartment continues to get worse and the strange sightings of a mysterious little girl wandering the halls. And soon leading Yoshimi to investigate the mystery of this little girl. This film, as I said, I I know that Stephen, you said that you don't have as fond of memories of Ring as we all had back in like two thousand and one, two thousand and two when it came out uh, over here. Um, I still, as I said, I still really like the original Ring. I think the sequels leave a lot to be desired now, uh, but. As I said, there is something about Dark Water that, while it feels that we're treading on similar themes here, as in Spooky Ghost, and obviously Creepy Water, um, obviously being this theme, but the fact that Water was like seen as a trademark of Nakada just because he used it in three films is really surprising. So when this one came out, it's sort of like, oh, Nakada's doing dark, doing Water again. Isn't this like spooky and stuff? And myself it just brought back um, a lot of memories of like the italian horror films a lot of like bava movies and fucci movies who had a lot of mysterious pools of water in their movies so for me it was uh don't look now definitely because it's all it's rainy in that film and there's a creepy ghost girl or ghost somebody in a uh kind of rain jacket yeah the little right, girl in the, uh, the red so, coat remind me a lot yep remind me a lot of that and then you know, an unfavorable comparison I had is actually the Duke because for me, once again, my personal opinion, Duke for me was not a film that I that I loved. And I, I actually watched it. I was like, this is just like a bad dark water, you know, where it's kind of like, you know, they're trying to show the woman's mental state with all these kind of horror things that are happening. Um, but there was so much overacting. It just didn't work for me. So I think, you know, what kind of part of the genius of dark water is it's able to. Um, create this eerie, amazing atmosphere through sound design and production design and everything. But it doesn't purely rely on the atmosphere. It also has very compelling characters and story. And that's, I think, something you don't often get in films like this. Like a lot of people will say, like, oh, it's just elevated horror or whatever, which is a term I hate. Um, but, you know, a lot of people will try to mimic this and they just go for kind of those bells and whistles without building up a good story and having characters we care about. Um, so that's part of why I love this film. I think they've just done a really fantastic job. As, as Stephen mentioned, you know, it's not the horror parts that are actually the best parts of this film. And the, I think also it reminds me a bit of Audition, not in mm-hmm. terms of its content, but in yes. terms of both, both times the directors show immense restraint. The genius of Audition is, is that this is Takashi Miike, the guy who's done all these, up to that point, had done all these crazy movies with you know, quite surreal and over the top stuff. And Audition builds up, builds up. It has a couple of little shocks here and there, and people in Hessian sacks and things like that. But it builds up 
to a crescendo. But I would say nine, uh, 60 minutes of people talking in a yeah. terribly low-quality film way. Um, yeah, I so, love Audition. It's my favourite horror film. But, it, but it's so film. restrained. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is yeah. restrained as well. Exactly. Yes, we'll talk about the ending Sure. at the end. Because yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I think we'll have opinions on that but this is a story and and about a really unusual event in japan at the time a divorced woman a divorced woman with (laughs) mental illness these are these are you know this is what this is um so when the story was written that sort of 1990s japan that's still quite a taboo as i understand it well also a woman working outside of the house wasn't terribly common at that time either there's more of it now obviously yeah but but japan is not well set up for women to be able to work outside the home it's still i mean that's why they have one of the lowest birth rates in the world is because women are basically like well if i want to keep on working that means i'm not having kids absolutely so we've actually got this story about a single mom about a divorce about how difficult it is to look after a child um Meanwhile, a little patch of waters appearing and a Hello Kitty bags appear. It was, it's not a Hello Kitty bag, yeah, is it? But, you know, that's what it looks like, one, doesn't it? So. Um, it, 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 it? It does, which is Don't Look Now. It clearly. Yes, it really absolutely is. Yes, yeah, well, for me, you know, it's also, I really like the genius of it. It's kind of this concatenated story of three lonely, neglected girls, and their stories are interwoven, right? So there's Yoshimi in her childhood, there's Ikuko, her, her daughter in her childhood, and then there's you know, the missing girl who we learn about more throughout the film. But, you know, it's it's kind of, I have to admit, the first time I saw this film, I don't think I picked up on all of that. You know, there's obviously that kind of yellow tinge to the more historical elements, which I didn't really figure the, out. I the, think the, the flashback I to Yashimi's yeah. past. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just kind of, and, and obviously they consciously, you know, the hair is similar, the dress is similar, and so you get them mixed up sometimes, which I think is a little bit intentional, quite honestly. And that's kind of, I think, also just what makes it interesting to kind of get these bits and pieces of these three lives and see the similarities between them. And, and yeah, and I, I completely agree because I missed that the first couple of, first couple of times I watched it, got to be honest with you, and re-watching it again, I probably haven't seen it for four or five years. It is a film I have gone back to more than most. But yes, it said, oh yeah, of course, that's, a, like I say, it's a slightly different film stock or different, uh, yeah. it's slightly different colour gradings going on yeah and yes of course that's that's her story and sometimes maybe when i first watched it, i thought oh, i just don't understand that bit because that happens quite a lot in especially yeah. in japanese cinema for me um <laughs> so it's very sort of but you're right it is the story of three women there's there's barely anybody else in the film um mm-hmm. the two main men that are in it are our ex-husband who may yep. or may not who may or may not be a prick <laughs> i'm not sure yeah i'm um, gonna say yes but <laughs> but, but yeah she makes a decision at the end, which suggests he's not, because she leaves yeah, her with him. Possibly. Um, uh, well, did she really have a choice, though? Well, mm-hmm. we don't know. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then there's okay. the other. There's the lawyer fella, yeah. who looks mm-hmm. like he's going to swoop in as the hero. I know. And doesn't really. <laughs> so yeah. He's, he's you know, I, flag. I, I think part of what I loved about this movie is I find myself identifying so much with the protagonist. Now, obviously, I'm not a Japanese woman. I'm not going through a divorce. I don't have a child. But this experience, I've had exactly the experience of her. Now, I don't know if everybody has this or it's more likely if you're a woman or whatever. But anyway, exactly the same. Apartments, hotels, various other 
places and times and situations where I've, you know, kind of indicated a problem that's happening and the people I'm talking to either ignore me, they tell me it's not a problem or they don't do anything about it. And that's happened over and over again in my life too. And so I just find like how defeating that can be, how small that makes you feel. And every time it happened in the movie, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like I found myself relating to her so much. It's interesting as well that we've got with both this and the rink, we have essentially the same family set up here. We have the single mother with the child and the ex-husband who's still in the picture. The only difference really between those two groups here is the fact that Yoshimi is coming off a mental breakdown and with rink we're sort of building up to having one. So, just... Although in Suzuki's original book in ring it's gender swap so it's a the 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 lead right. character is a guy but he's is the, the divorce is happening and this is because when he was writing so he's a kind of interesting author i've been i'm more interested in him than i am in the carter <laughs> so, you know he he basically went and learned, you know he wanted to be all he ever wanted to be was a writer the woman he married he'd known since she was four years old and he was <laughs> as old as well oh, okay. it's, not, it's not that creepy <laughs> okay. um and that, but they got married and had a daughter young um and it's you know the desire to so he's so busy he, he wanted to become a writer so he studied he's never had any other real jobs so there was this pressure on him to write he wrote ring and it wasn't really very successful but then the movie made it successful blah 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 but ring the stories you know the story of dark water and other things he's written Children are very important in that, and and I think it becomes his, his love and his desire to protect his daughter does absolutely flow through in everything that he's written or everything that I've read of his. I obviously we don't get all his works. Um, I think the three ring books and Dark Water and the one he wrote about the earthquake are the only ones I, that I know of that have been translated into English. But it's very much his thing that young that young child in peril that's interesting i mean it almost makes me feel a little bit i mean obviously a very different film but like something like eraserhead right where there's this anxiety around being a good parent and being you know help protecting your children mm. and helping your children and that you'll screw up and you know because you know a lot of these parents do screw up along the way right oh, yeah. absolutely as a, as a parent myself you know that, that's the that's the fear once you have children you have this <laughs> whole new yeah. anxiety and pressure especially when they're young sure that, that you know that pressure's on you you know you've got you're, you're responsible for their safety their security for what sort of person they're going to become this is inc- incredible pressure but if you're going to be an author if that's you want to be a writer i mean how many writers succeed <laughs> it's like quite a quite a leap um, yeah, there's one other film we were talking about that it reminds me of. I don't know if you know this film. I will, you probably will, um, Rashmi. Is um, Nobuhiko Obayashi's Discarnates, mm-hmm. yeah, which is another absolute favourite of mine. Which has such the same feel about it. In the Discarnates, this guy basically gets visited by his parents, who've been dead for years, and he sort of gets sort of sucked into this world where his ghost parents parents are sort of sucking the life out of him because he's had a divorce and all these things it's uh-huh. it's a very similar film but it, it, and this is from the director of house <laughs> yeah 
it's he's a got very, a lot of varied his varied filmography he has but that's 1988 so that's mm-hmm. a long time before this but i do think you can watch them back to back and you'll feel very similar very similar vibes very similar visuals going on in it as well i mean this era too in japan right it's kind of the 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 rockin' 80s are over, which was really the period of kind of Japanese domination in the world, really. And 90s is when that kind of stagnating economy started, which they're kind of still in to this day. So I think more anxiety coming in in films during that time kind of makes sense. Yeah, they're sort of trapped in that bubble economy, aren't they? Exactly. That, that, nev- that never, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of directors who's still milking that to this day <laughs> yeah it's still there <laughs> any any Karida film you'll probably um you'll get that sense as well oh no to be fair that's not just a japanese thing you, you'll yeah. see that across a lot of asia yeah um how do we actually find like the mystery here because obviously the big part of this is obviously this this mysterious uh young girl um called uh mitsuko who as i said is she's seen wandering the holes in a uh, her yellow slicker which was uh reused as a character design for the game little nightmares uh the character of the main character runs around in a yellow slicker as well so but how do we actually find it because i mean obviously when you we, it's not the first time we've seen spooky go to before you mentioned already like don't look now we can look at things such as like uh the orphanage or del toro's devil's backbone both feature like spooky children trying to teach uh, someone else of the mystery that is going on there so how does she sort of like rank up though in terms of like spooky ghost children because i think it's a really effective character and it's also not over played which is something that i often find to a lot of ghost stories they tend to like over overplay especially in the west and the when it comes to like j-horror these ghosts tend to be a lot more sort of subtle they're just sort of like they're there or they're mm-hmm. like appear at the to like uh provide the judgment in the case of like Sadako in the uh, ring books so I I partially like this portrayal because this is it's a horror movie where there isn't a clear good or bad right I mean so many horror movies we have like oh even even the even when the avenging ghost is avenging something terrible they're still terrible in the vengeance right and Mitsuko we get us I mean she's just a child you know she's a lonely child that was abandoned such a tragic story it's it i think the kind of lack of that kind of traditional dichotomy here is part of i think what makes this film interesting because yes there is a vengeful aspect to her but that's not kind of her main thing i feel like i don't know if you all see it the same way or not but no i think i think you're right so firstly i'm very glad that there isn't little children singing nursery rhymes thing that trope annoys the shit out of me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so, and, and this film is the soundscape i mean i think i can't remember ah. if you mentioned before you know the soundscape of this yeah film i mean this amazing. is um is, is produced, the soundtrack is produced by uh kenji kawaii who is just a phenomenal uh composer i mean this just this month for so many times that his name will like appear when we're looking at soundtracks and things such as like he did the devil man ovas he did like platinum or animal one and a half eight so like goes on and on to what everything that he's been like attached uh to and even outside of like just you know anime and things that we've seen him again in things such as like red spectacles again in dark water um here obviously seven swords he did the Ip man films he did death note it's like all these films that we sort of like go think oh well that had a really great soundtrack 
it's normally he's the guy responsible um, for it. Um, yeah, I mean, both the soundtrack and the sound design, right? That kind of eerie feeling that's generated through the sound design. Um, and I just want to give kudos to the production design, too. I think it's amazing and, and central to this film working, the kind of very brutalist building on the outside, which is so foreboding. And then the inside is so spooky, too, because it's empty and bad fluorescent lighting and obviously the water problems but um really really yeah. well done. i mean the scariest thing about this movie on the whole that, that mitzka's ghost appears almost off screen most of the time you yep. know it's the horrors in in the bag that's appearing or um that um yes uh what's Unseen. the name it, 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 mm-hmm. is 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 dis, is not there anymore and things like that the scary thing is that drip drip in the ceiling Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every mm-hmm. time we look at it, it's a little bit bigger and yeah. it's a little bit wetter, and that's yeah. again. I go back to that restrained thing. Yeah, if if um if this was an insidious film or something oh. like that, yeah. please no, please no. <laughs> but you know what I mean. This is this yeah. something that's wonderfully restrained. Yeah, I mean, this. an American and, film, it would be like dripping blood or something, you know. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no, you know, we don't need that. This is and, foreboding. Yeah, and, and you know, it's scary enough. There's there's a bit yeah. where she's just got a bucket. And the more yeah. water's in it, and the, and 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 there there is some pads, there's some noise going on in the background, but it's it's the drip of the water, it's the dirty water, that's the yes. other thing, it's dirty water. Whereas Mitsuko herself, as a ghost, apart from right at the end, it's barely here. But you're mm-hmm. right, Elwood, you know, and it's interesting, you know, she's yellow as well, which mm-hmm. is. I don't know if yellow is a signifier in Japanese culture or something. I don't know if it's no, a... it's it's white. White is death. White so, would be death, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so that's unusual. It's a very sort of yeah. traditional you know, color, though, for a raincoat. Well, I mean, but you know, we have such a it's a muted. It's such a muted color palette. I think the mm. yellow just really stands out, and the red really stands out. We remember those, right? Because there's not much else that's yellow or red in this film. Well, the rest the rest of the film is beige. It's right. almost black and white, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's sepia tone. It's yeah. it's beige. It's magnolia. Yep. It's mm-hmm. it's those kind of nondescript colours, which is why the red bag it's so yes it's so obvious. Exactly. You know that, that, that's why Spielberg did it in Schindler's List, right? Right. It's with, memorable. Yeah, it's memorable, and it yep. and it highlights it. But yeah, I I just I just found as you know go back to Elwood's question, I found her as a ghost actually quite compelling. And that's how I imagine ghosts to be. And that's the kind of thing he did in um in that first from the card the first one. It's it's little images just to the right of the shot. Yeah. It's, I mean the it's... other thing about a good ghost film, right, is we don't always believe it's necessarily a ghost, right? There's always that uncertainty. Like, is it you know, there's that classic dichotomy, right, of like, is it mental illness or is it a ghost? And and, and this film yeah. Treads that line up exactly. until the last yes. 10 minutes, right? Exactly. The, the yes. whole film could have been 10 minutes shorter and we could have been saying, do you think it was a ghost or do you think she was mentally yeah. ill? Right. Exactly. And, and, and then the end happens. But let's that, that's, that's, that's talk about the good I'm so trusting in, in <laughs> the protagonist that I never actually stopped to question like whether it was a mental illness at all. I just truly believed that like, as soon as it's sort of like, it's a ghost, it is a ghost. I never stopped once to think that, you know, maybe this is um, a result of a mental illness. So that's an interesting angle. I might have to look at it again. And I mean, you said already that when it came to uh, Mitsuko, that she's not a benevolent spirit, but she does try and drown Yoshimi's daughter at one point. She's trying to looking for that mother figure, isn't she? Oh, no, I definitely don't think. 
she's definitely not benevolent, but I don't think she's as evil as some of the other ghosts we get, right? Like a lot of ghost films, there's a lot of body count, right? There's very little body count in this film. It's not about that, right? And I think I always feel like what she's doing is to get attention, and that's what she has to do to get attention. And you almost think about like children in the real world, right? I mean, obviously not what they're doing. They're not doing what Mitsuko's doing. But, you know, children, what do they do? They start yelling. They act out. They do different things because they want attention. And I think Mitsuko's just doing the ghost child version of that. And and, and then we have things like, you know, do you remember when the hair comes out in the, mm-hmm. in the tap? Yeah. Well, yeah. is that is that? We see we see that in a lot of um, Asian horror movies, right? Water yeah. and hair. I'm yeah. thinking of um, the whole beginning of uh, it's called Dead Friend, but it might have a different name elsewhere. There's a very good career movie. I think it's called Ghost, actually, but it's also called Dead Friend. And they just start the film with that, and it never really appears anywhere else. But some <laughs> some 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 black hair comes out of the tap. So oh my god, it's a ghost, and they do that. But again, yeah. that is is that black hair. Mitz goes ghost doing i don't know attention grabbing things mm-hmm. was that because there's a dead corpse up in the water tank exactly and it's coming out and that's this exactly. wonderful doesn't you know it, it treads this wonderful line for mm-hmm. over an hour of this movie where mm-hmm. both things could be true mm-hmm. and yeah. it would and it wouldn't matter if, if, if this film had actually if it ended when we found the body and it's just a really sad story and actually you know, yeah. she'd just been picking up on the clues. That would have been fine yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. The fact it's a ghost story, that's fine as well to me. Uh-huh. And I, just, I just don't think many movies couldn't that I've seen don't tread that line, and they and they jump out into the in the supernatural side, full full blast straight away. And uh, I know someone says, "Oh, it's it's not real. It's not real," but pretty much everyone believes it by the end, don't they? It's yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good, at this point it's a good leeway into the actual ending of the film because you said already about you know what she wants and the fact that she's acting out and trying to get attention, and then at the end we obviously have this uh, sequence where where Yoshimi is um, essentially found with Mitsuko, who uh, attaches herself to her. And she makes this. Uh, she realizes, you know, that Mitsuko isn't going to let her go, and the only way to sort of like free her is to buy, is to go with her, which leads to that ending, which is in one part an homage to The Shining, but in the other part just completely stupid. Um, I really, even no matter how many times I watch this film, I just never get to grips with sort of like the choice that she makes. It's like when you watch The Mist. In the version we got, I never felt that the film does earn the ending it had, and it should have stuck with the original ending of the book, which was that they're just driving off into the mist. It's a world of mist now. And as I said, I felt when it came to Dark Water that we're not the character options up until that point. Nothing had uh, given us the impression that you know that she would make a choice the way that she did, where she chooses the ghost girl over her own daughter. So. I think, yeah, I think there's two endings for me. There's there's the the ending where Mitsuko, the 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 muddy ghost thing, which gives us the one true jump scare of the movie, right? 
(laughs) which is then ruined by its application later on where it's well, he's just sort of being hugged by a little mud. Second baby. time we've seen a mud <laughs> baby after <laughs> um, look... Ring 2, wasn't it? Because we got Mud Sadako. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just. I think I think the, the initial shock is really good when it ah, and grabs onto her and then they just, sometimes you, you, you don't show. That's the, you, you shouldn't, you show too much. And then to find out, we jump forward 10 years it's very hard to tell, but I believe it's like 10 years later or something like that. Um, that um, uh, Akiku has, has grown up. She's obviously gone to live with her father or something like that. She's now a well-adjusted child. And she's for some reason goes on a trip with some friends to where she used to live. But she doesn't really remember it. And then she goes to this apartment building, which is now abandoned, although it doesn't look an awful lot different, and finds out the ghost of her mother is there. And, and suddenly she sort of remembers. And I just don't think any of this is really... A, that's just stupid. But also, it doesn't feel terribly earned or explained. Like, why, why is Yashimi decided that... that she needs to look after Mitsuko. And so I can try to give a possible. I can try to give a possible explanation for it. Not that I Please necessarily don't. like this ending, but the way the way I saw it was basically she. Uh, so Yoshimi sacrifices herself, in essence, to um, break that kind of cycle of abuse and neglect. And that the proof of that happening is you may recall that when Ikuku comes back, she goes by the school and it looks like there's another lonely girl there waiting to get picked up. But then she gets picked up right away. And so it's kind of like the balance has been restored or something like that. And that comes through sacrifice. Just a quick note on kind of Japanese beliefs. Japanese beliefs are that kind of ancestors look out for us from the the nether region whatever wherever they go afterwards right so so they're always looking out for us and so you'll probably see like a lot of japanese movies you see will have people visiting graves because you visit graves typically the anniversary of death uh during obon during new year's to tend the grave and make sure that you are kind of thanking the ancestor for all the help they're giving you and kind of in that sentiment i can kind of see this as like the mother's making a sacrifice so that ikuko is not plagued by either abuse slash this ghost, if you believe in the ghost, uh, for the rest of her life, right? I think that the the conclusion she comes to is, if I don't do this, uh, Ikuko is going to be in danger for the rest of her life. Yeah, I, I get that. And, and we've yeah. talked about Eastern culture's different relationship with death, you know, in, 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 in with other films before. Um, I just don't think the film does a great job of explaining it. It always comes right. out of nowhere. And it needs that coda bit of the film, which I think is really clumsy yeah. to kind of explain that. And I'd have much rather it ended, just to, I don't know, just to be a little bit clearer or some, some, some characters to vocalise. It's it's something. a tough you know it's a tough end so I don't like the coda much either it's a tough ending though just to have a girl screaming and the mother drowning in the oh, elevator you know for, for, here's for what sure. I was thinking right is maybe something supernatural like that happens and like the next day I don't know the police come or something and they open up the water tank and it turns out there are two bodies in there or something like that you know and then some explanation around that but yeah it's it's a little clunky I think especially since I think we all like the the first hour or so of the film I think is fantastic. And so 
maybe we have higher expectations for what the end would. It's been a long time since I read the the story. Um, I can't remember if the Carter yeah. is is just taking what happens in the in the novel or is it in the it's a long it's a short. Story, I tried to I I tried to find the book too, but I have like a physical book and I have no yeah, idea where it too. is. Yeah, me too. Like vertical, <laughs> put put them all out after. Yeah. after the ring uh, and I thought oh, I'll go and find that but I, I couldn't find it because I've moved house yeah. since I couldn't find it I, I'm desperate to know has he because obviously with ring the Carter changes he really turns a science fiction novel into a horror film right so I was wondering has he has he done something here and because the other ring books are way more science fictiony than horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, loop is literally set. Oh, that virus world. stuff. Just yeah. Like yeah. Uh, I'm okay with it. It's but it's not what you expecting. And I'm just wondering if Dark Water. But I think Dark Water is fairly it's accurate. Pretty, yeah, the... I think that code is in the book too, if I remember. Mm. Yeah. And and so but it's been a while. Yeah. I I am I, okay with what it's saying. I just think it's really clunkily done. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's, that's it the is. point. And I think if there had been some more vocalizational discussion between characters that would just justify her action it just feels like it comes from nowhere oh, you're right you're absolutely right it doesn't because we've obviously gone to the flashback when she was abandoned and right and and and, and obviously that is repeated in the coda with that other young girl at right. the same school that's waiting to be yep. it's all kind of there mm-hmm. it would just feel more earned if i if i believe that yashimi was had had had, had given some thought to her sacrifice in advance or that there was some there was yeah some... i agree with you because most of the time we're just hearing oh i'm always going to be with you here and when you're happy i'm happy and all this stuff right and so and literally, literally one second later she was yeah. trying to save her yeah, yeah. And, and then suddenly said you know what i'm going to go off with mud girl yeah or <laughs> just like okay things are never going to be better as long as this ghost is yeah. here so i'm going to take care of it or yeah i mean that's clunky but you know what i mean and, and yeah. it could have done, you know, it could have said something in her talking with her friends. You know, she, she just doesn't remember this time. So how has she grown up? How has she become this all well-rounded schoolgirl? <laughs> you know, which is why I'm thinking, well, oh, maybe the right. dad wasn't so bad. You see what I mean? This, this, these things. Well, apparently, who knows, right? Apparently he got married again. Maybe the stepmother is not so bad. I don't know. He seems like a jerk. You're, you're, you're right. Uh, I mean. It's hard to believe that she would have had a well-adjusted childhood with that person. At least, I mean, he's a—he's—he's a—he's certainly a dick in the context yeah. of their divorce. But exactly. divorces do that. Well, that's people. true. That's true. So, so yeah, he brings up things like her mental breakdown and her—and to be fair, some quite legitimate complaints about her um, ability to actually look after the daughter. Yeah, yeah. But then she, you know, she says, but he's never paid any attention to her till we started getting divorced. So, divorce is a messy. And yeah. I think Japanese divorces are probably even more messy because yeah, there's a, a lot of shame. A lot of shame comes with shame. it. Shame. It's yeah. not a culturally accepted thing <laughs> at the time of this story. Blah blah blah. But um, I don't know. Just it's a shame because three quarters of this film, four fifths of this film, are so beautifully restrained and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. perfect in vision and sound and acting and the things it's talking about. And then there's just this. 
naff bit on the end. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's like a Spielberg ending or something, right? Which <laughs> I will be the first to say I'm not a huge Spielberg fan. But, you know, there's a swelling of the music. It's almost like they want you to cry at the end or something. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. films do that. I'm all right yeah. with that. Films yeah. are manipulative exercises. You know, sure. We, we're, 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 they're designed to impact us emotionally. So I'm okay with that. It's just... It just was, it's nearly a perfect film, <laughs> and it just botches mm-hmm. the landing. I feel that if this in the West, it, then normally oh. by, when we found the bag um, and the, or the location where she drowns, then it would have been broken the curse, as we see in the likes of like the fog. It's just about finding the key item that the ghost is seeking, and that's all you need. You don't really have has to like sacrifice themselves to go to the ghost dimension. You're, if you're if you do, it's normally because right. you're a bad person or that you've had a misstep along the way and you find yourself dragged to hell. Um, it's what always uh, surprised me, as I said, with the fact that when we look at a lot of J-horror and the fact that, you know, the world of the spirit world and the world of, like, the mortal realm, the fact that you can be sort of, like, taken from one realm to the other and it will be to appease the spirit it's something kind of foreign uh well literally to us it is you know there is this belief in japan like if you save someone's life that you are now responsible for that person (laughs) so you know in the west it'd probably be the opposite right you save somebody's life they owe you big time but in japan it's kind of like you save someone's life that means you're now going to be responsible (laughs) for the rest of their life so it's almost like that in ghost form here, right? Like she kind of discovers this ghost and therefore she has to go be with the ghost. So, yeah, it's... And, and and so what I would say is this is where the American remake actually gets it right. <laughs> and that, well, not just gets it right, it just has a slightly different interpretation. So the same sort of shit goes down, but it is very clear that the man that she was divorcing gets the custody of the daughter and the mother does go she does die but she's there with the daughter as a ghost looking after her for the rest of her life as well mm-hmm. so i just it just it it does feel it's not a happy ending but it feels more connected and true to the characters up to this point um and and so she does she doesn't go off with 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 the ghost she goes off she, she, she becomes a ghost, but she looks after her actual biological daughter. Which, sorry, I've just ruined two films. I think if you were you were going to watch it, you would have watched just, it just, already just, with the American one. It's indeed. I just, I yeah. just, you know, I think that's why I think it's such a good remake because it takes the best of it and actually mm-hmm. says, you know what, that ending's been botched. Mm-hmm. Let's let's do something a little different. And maybe because it's, it's you know, it's an American film, it's a little bit um taking it's got by the way it's got one hell of a cast jennifer yeah, Connelly, i know john, john c Riley, tim roth pete Postlethwaite. um that's just having a little that's just probably old Doug, well dugway scott <laughs> if you can i can live with or without him but um <laughs> it, it, it's um yeah it's one one hell of a cast um who's it directed by ah walter salas so he's uh is he not argentinian Port- yeah he's brazilian isn't he yes and did he not do um no he 
didn't ignore me <laughs> but yes yeah, so, so i think i think that's a great film we, one day we should do a show about remakes american remakes of asians films 90 <laughs> percent of it will be like terrible 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 why bother <laughs> abomination dark water yeah <laughs> there'll be a couple of films where it's like hey actually this was good yeah yeah Yep. I'm just trying to find out why I would have clicked on Walter Salas now because um, it's shown on Wikipedia that I've clearly clicked on it but I can't think of what film I would have been watching to sort of click on it because I know he did Motorcycle Diaries um, and he did On the Road which right. never needed to be made into a film version but it's there now um, <laughs> yeah so I have no idea why I would have been looking at Walter Silas, but yes, he was. Uh, he did his most noteworthy thing is he did Motorcycle Diaries, which was good. Um, yeah, great film. I've got nothing else to say really on on this one. I think it's 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 good. Um, I think it's definitely one worth worth checking out. And it sort of stands on its own. You don't. I know a lot of people when it when it came out they were sort of like very keen to link it to Ring and I think it's because it's obviously been the same director and the same writer, but I think it's very much its own story. It's its own got its own style and it's got it it does its own thing. Um, there's no sort of like curses or anything like that. It's just basically uh, more of a traditional sort of ghost story than the ghost trying to tell people how it died so it can find peace and unfortunately it adds that sort of like. Asian twist in the fact that the only way I'm going to find peace is not only you find my body, but I'm going to take you as well. So, um, I get, mm -hmm. I don't, as I said, even though we've had this discussion about the end, it's not, it still doesn't, doesn't work for me, but, um, as a film, I think it's, it's very effective. Yeah, I do think some of that is cultural. I, I agree with Stephen that the same themes probably could have been communicated a little bit better, but I think some of that is just cultural. The, the fact that she has to die, the mother has to die at the end as well, which probably wouldn't happen in a Western film. Stephen, yeah. any final thoughts? <laughs> um, no, it's just, it's just really weird. Every time I come to this film, I, I, I my memories of it, in two weeks' time, I'll forget about the ending, and it'll be back to being one of my favourite <laughs> Japanese films of all time. <laughs> And then I'll watch it again, and I go, "Oh, that ending!" So there's always—it's—I'm it's, sure I've spoken about it in what it's almost certainly going to be in my one of my in the top twenty-five films or something like that. That's how much I love it. I was so excited when um, Arrow bought a Blu-ray of it out, and there's some really good features on it as well. Yeah, every time I watch it, it then disappoints me. It's like um, I'm like an abused film watcher <laughs> that will keep going back to this movie, but I'm. And and it's almost like the Carter's career made whole. Yeah, you know, I did these two really good films, and then he botched the ending. And then only all his other films, he just botches the entire film. <laughs> Maybe Stephen, someday a ghost will come down and fix your Blu-ray so it has an ending you like better. What I should do is just 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 re-edit it, shouldn't I? Yeah, and just there just you go. edit, just, just do a version. People do that. Fan, don't they? fan edit, a fan edit. Put I, it I need to do a fan. Yeah. I need to do a yeah. fan edit with uh, with that. Or I'll, or I'll go and watch the American remake. What I would do is who uh, knows. I love this film. It's definitely one of my favorite horror films. I mean, Audition's my very very favorite, top number one. But this one's pretty high up there. 
I really like it. I love that it's a poignant horror film, and you don't get many of those. You know, if they included did the ending of Don't Look Now as the ending of this film, I probably would have been happier with it than I was with the ending of Don't Look Now. Ooh. I Don't Look Now, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's going on one thing, and then it has this, like, one of those weird endings, which everyone remembers it for. But when you watch it, it's sort of like, yeah. that, that made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> So it's to said if they put that ending at this one, yeah, the whole kind of the kind of whole time shift thing is introduced pretty late I, on. I just, yeah, I the problem is yeah. we don't look now. It's it's one of those movies that's very highly acclaimed, but I've never understood the hype. It's kind of like the same way that I don't understand why people like Breakfast Club. Oh, really? Um, I don't. Breakfast like Club is easier to I understand. I like I like yeah. the Breakfast Club. I like Breakfast Club, but and I'm a John Hughes apologist, so and yeah, and I've seen Simple Minds live, and <laughs> I just get excited about the opening. But and I love Molly Ringwald so much. I'll watch anything with her in. But um, don't look now. I do agree with you. I I struggle with any Nick Rogue film. I mm-hmm. I I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy Walkabout. Even though it's got Jenny Agatha in it, I don't enjoy A Man Who Fell to Earth. Even though it's got David Bowie in it, no, did he, he did not do. Did he do performance? So okay, he did. Wrong in that. Yeah, okay, I, mean... I, I want to say he did performance, but I think you're right. I don't think he did. But look, but even though it's got Mick Jagger in it and Edward, um, you know what? It's that guy who actually. Uh, I just watched another one of his by films. the same guy who did Shoot, Demon Seed. I can't... It's a. Yes. Is that's it, it. Though? it feels like it should be. A that's, it, that's it. That's it. That's why I, I was watching point. his stuff on Criterion. Some of it was going um, away. D- yeah, Don- Donald Camel. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Nick Rogue did. He did part director. It. It's Donald that's Camel right. and yeah. Nick Rogue. And yeah. Nick Rogue did write it. So, yeah, I don't like performance. I don't like the one with Albert Einstein and and um, Marilyn Monroe. Is that one of his as well? I'm sure it is. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's not really. It's actors playing them. <laughs> but yeah, I, but I should like him. He's like one of the great mm. British directors, and I do. I cannot connect. With I know any it's of his new, um... interesting. Yeah, because for me, Don't Look Now is quite similar to this film. It's it's mm. kind of that that dreary grayness as kind of the mental states of the characters atmospheric for their location you got you got donald sutherland Judy yeah. Christie, you've got venice yeah. you've got you've got you know exactly. it's, it's and, and it's... i don't get it and that of course is coming from a similarly dark place yeah is it because don't look now dressed into that sort of italian giallo styling so it's very much like argento uh see i love giallo that's maybe that's yeah but i person. i there's some Jallo in Dark Water. When I was watching it, those scenes where like Mitsuko's uh, approaching Ikuko in the in the school. To me, that's like textbook Jallo, right? Because we're kind of in the in the kind of camera eye of the because Jallo itself is um, very, very much an Italian creation. It's there's very few films which sort of like came outside of uh, Italy that could be considered part of the Jallo genre. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you have films such like Eyes of Laura Mars, or you had um, Dressed to Kill, uh, which I also watched mm-hmm. this week. That's a great movie, bonkers. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm sure offensive to some people, but it's a really good movie. I think I think it's I think it has become more offensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, insignificance. That's the Nick Rogue film I was trying to think of. By the way, <laughs> Gary Boosie, mate. So, hey. <laughs> before or after accident? The main thing I remember about before. performance is the yeah. fact that Mark Cousins okay. is a big fan of the director. That's the only thing I really know about uh, about it. But I never really Uh-oh. cared for performance. I like Demon Seed, but I didn't really care for for performance. But then again, I don't really care for Jagger, so that probably also didn't help the cause either. So uh, that's going to be a hard watch. Yeah, I love you like, Nick. I you like, like Ned Nick. Kelly as well. I, I could do a whole. I could do a podcast about both oh, his films. My God, <laughs> you want to see the most boring stage show in the world? Watch the Rolling Stones now. It's like watching people play music in slow motion. Yeah, so I've got to be honest, I'd rather see the Stones in the in the 60s or the 70s. I have no interest in watching them struts their stuff now. But I do, yeah, I like the Stones. I like Mick. The Stones are like the band you get into cool. until you like realise there's, realize there's ACDC and then you need no other band in life until you discover Rush. And- and then Rush will become gonna, your whole we're, life. We're gonna you only to need Rush albums in your car because they're that no. good. And and they're from Canada, That's which means they have to rock twice to as me. hard as other bands to stay warm because it's so cold up there. Uh, anyway, now we've fully drifted <laughs> off time. Darkwater is available <laughs> on our, our top uh, list of Asian cinema. It's at number 23. So we have the sense to include it in that initial 50. Mm. So that's what sort of impression it left on us. Um, but um, no, Dogwater has got a release uh, through Arrow, which is very nice. You can watch it on the Arrow player along with the Ring movies, uh, which has also been released on there in 4K. So if you like watching films in 4K, then that's all the better for you. I, I can't get on with 4K because it seems really speeded up. What I will it's... say is um, it's... It is from a period of Japanese cinema where there is no point 4K-ing it. The production quality of Japanese cinema, of any film released between 1980 and about 2015, looks like a TV show. There is no point in getting it any bigger than HD at all. It's just not... I know that's a very sweeping statement I've made there, but... Yeah, this, this film does look great, but it doesn't look like it needs to be in 4K or anything. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> I think, for me, I kind of it's a little bit akin to, like, noir or something, right? So I'm a big noir fan. If you look at, like, classic noir films from, like, the 50s, mm. most of them were made on very low budgets. Not all of them. There are a, A-level noir films as well, but the bulk of them were B-films, and so they had lower budgets. And so they consciously used things like darkness and light and, and mm. rain and everything to make it look cooler on a smaller budget. And I feel a little bit of that in this film as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean... The budget in the in any Japanese movie is not going to be huge, right? And that's why we look at people like Kurosawa and marvel at what he was able to do on the budget, even when you compare it to what the Hollywood budgets are, even back he in the day, actually- right? He got some pretty good budgets because keep in mind he had a three camera system, so he's running Indeed. three cameras of film. But I but I bet <laughs> but I bet it's still a fraction of what an equivalent. 
you know, I, I, I bet no Kurosawa film costs as much as a glory cost to make or something like that, yeah? Let's go and find out. Let's get the accounts running. No, but the thing with him, too, is they ran so long, right? And, like, the point where, like, he had a falling out with Mifune just because Mifune is like, I can't spend a year working on these movies. It's just too much. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, Well, this is uh, brings us up to the end of our episode. We are, uh, before we go, I just want to... uh, cover some of the wonderful feedback we've been receiving while well, we've obviously been in the midst of Asian uh, Horror Month um, certainly Battle Royale 2 has been much discussed with Stephen calling me out and saying that I was being too kind to the movie and that it's out of shite so thank you as always for your, your constructive criticism Stephen <laughs> <laughs> I, I detest Battle Royale 2 with every ounce of my body you are being obviously you're, you're allowed to like it i just think it's dreadful craig um, <laughs> so um who is actually engaged to team member steph so uh he points out that how wild it was uh just how ferociously anti-american it is which i suppose it can be said because the world seven are kind of like a sympathetic version of the taliban um, but at the same time, the fact that Kenta, his um, his son, who finished off the film, was leaning hard into any controversy they could get out of the film. And Kinji um, Fukusaku, unfortunately, sort of passed away during production. And as I said, his son just did, really didn't care whether they'd been controversial or not. He was just like fully leaning that ship into it. So, Yeah, I, the whole Wild Seven stuff. Yeah, it is. It is weirdly anti-american but that's not even the bit that's bad i'd be all right if it was like that it's the opening scene which seems to go on forever which is just a retread i just thought the fact the that uh, the ricky takeuchi <sighs> stars as Must ricky takeuchi <laughs> they didn't even bother to come up with another name for him <laughs> and he just basically Finally, seems to be ricky takeuchi playing ricky takeuchi mm. but as a school teacher and he did this as well. You know, he turned up in a wrestling promotion where he was playing himself and he was King Ricky. So the fact that he's turned up and being bonkers is just kind of what I expect from him. And I love it for him. Um, Doofus Rainwright also commented that he was a real big fan of our chapter by chapter breakdown of the original Battle Royale and was on his second listen through. So thank you very much uh, for sharing your love for that project. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing it for for, for Battle Royale 2, certainly not after Stephen's comments, so... <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, more importantly, our guest tonight, Rashmi, you have now thrown your hat into the podcasting realm and have got your own show. It's no longer just being like a renaissance lady and just out there now, you've now... It's fully attached to your own show. So do you want to tell us a bit about your, your show that you're launching? Thanks so much, Ellen. And thanks to both of you for giving me this opportunity to get started. And, and you both predicted that once I started here, I'd want to do more. And that's certainly what happened. So if you aren't tired of Creepy Ghost Girls yet, uh, come listen to a new podcast that I'm starting with a friend of mine named Zach Eastman. Uh, we're starting a podcast called Kowai, which is scary in Japanese. And it's going to be all about classic Japanese horror films and their relationships to the film of today. If you want to find it, search on your podcatcher of choice for YBR Presents. So Y is in yellow, B as in boy, 
R as in Richard, uh, YBR Presents. And there are already two seasons on there that I have not been a part of, uh, which are also really good, one on Hitchcock and one on Jacques Tati. And then the third season will be coming out November of 2023. Uh, and we've already uh, kind of pre-recorded some episodes on Page of Madness, which is one of the earliest Japanese horror films we were able to find. It's a silent expressionist film from 1926. Uh, and then we did a sci-fi unit where we covered Invisible Man, which you all covered first and I heard about from you. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and then we did Mothra as our kaiju film. We covered a very fun film called Goke Body Snatcher from Hell, uh, which is just a lot of campy goodness. Uh, and then Stephen's favorite film, Face of Another. We covered that one as well. Uh, I, of course, I say that in jest. And I've just been rewatching Qui-Gon. Uh, as we move into a whole unit about ghosts. So if you haven't had enough of ghosts, come hear about their origins and all the different types of ghosts. They're like 15 words for ghost in Japanese. So uh, we will have a lot to talk about. So once again, look up YBR Presents in your podcatcher, and we will be getting started in November of 2023. So thank you so much, Elwin. Oh, it's a pleasure. We'll obviously uh, be sharing it on the the blog and all the other social platforms when it uh, comes out. So obviously look out for that as well, because we obviously like to support our fellow Asian cinema podcasts. Um, so we will obviously be putting it out there. So if you can't find it, then just keep checking the socials and uh, we will be posting it when it comes up on there as well. But thank you, Rashmi, for joining us tonight and uh, talking about Dark Water. Such a pleasure. I love this film and I love chatting about it with you all. So thank oh, you. Nice. And uh, thank you, Stephen. Pleasure as always. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a review, especially on iTunes, as it really helps raise the profile of the show. Uh, you can follow us on the, all us, the important socials. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Blue Sky, and we are on Freds. We're not on Twitter because it's awful. Um, so you can also follow our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which has got our full archive of episodes, including Takashi Miike month and Anthony Wong month. And we'll also have uh, the recaps when we do them for Asian Horror Month as well. So uh, you can find all that on there as well. Uh, make sure you check out in your feed because we have got some fun, spooky episodes coming up. Uh, you will have seen already that we did Uncle Boomy can record his past lives, which is more of your art house stuff. We've got a great episode coming out for the World Cinema Film Club as well. And um, yes, we also have a recap episode as well for all the fun and shenanigans this season. And we'll see how much of it Stephen's subjected is to. Uh, as well so that's all to come up as well so thank you as always for listening thanks to my co-host this evening and Stephen it is your turn to choose next do you know I forgot it was yeah. my choice it's fine we can come back to this <laughs> if you want you haven't got something no 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 I've, I've got okay. something um and and I'm going to um we always get rushed when we talk about Japanese cinema but um, it's not going to be Japanese this time. In fact, it's going to be, I think I have this little, um, one of my secret objectives for this um, show is to get every Stephen Chow movie covered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, whilst, whilst I am going through the fight back to school movies right now, um, what I thought I'd go to is actually another one of my favourites, which is more of a com comedy drama from him, which is um, the, the king of comedy, the original king of comedy, not the remake 
but sorry, not the new King of Comedy, which he made fairly recently. So the one from 1999, which um, has a wonderful performance by Cecilia Chung in it, which I adore. But yes, um, King of Comedy by Stephen Chow. Also ranked, no. Well, not by, well, he co-directed it, so... Not not quite from by Stephen Chow. Very nice. Um, it's also number four on our list. Yeah, because I love it. <laughs> so, so. I was thinking, have I brought it to the show already? So, yes, yeah, spoilers, I'm going to gush. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun, though, as well, to cross off these like missing ones on other lists. Because as I said, whenever I can't think of them, if I just look at the, the top 200 lists that we put together and see whatever's not been greyed out. It's normally a good indication yeah, of stuff. No. It's normally, as I said, it's normally we have a, like a fun time, and it's normally a good pick. So, because uh, that's how mm. we came to like do Swing Girls, um, and there've been a few other picks that from the like Love and a Puff was another one as well. So, we'll um, yeah, for sure. I mean, the point of the show is quite often to introduce each other to 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 films, isn't it? So. Uh... I didn't. I didn't realize you hadn't seen this one. So. No, there's a lot. There's hopefully, hopefully you love it. You can pretty much drive a semi through the gaps in the Stephen Chow filmography for myself. So, I think because I said because it was weird that uh, we obviously had Shannon Soccer and we had Kung Fu Hustle and it seemed like we were going to get the Mermaid and it just never came over here. And then it sort of like was like the impossible to see any of his other films and they would like randomly turn up on Prime and Netflix and. Um, I would often miss them by the time I got around to watching them. So, so that will obviously be on our next episode. But until then, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next time to talk about King of Comedy. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.